In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins. And the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Today's reading from the first book of Samuel gives us a really wonderful account of God using Samuel as his messenger, as his prophet, to find the Lord's chosen one, the Lord's anointed one, David, who, as you know, would become king and would foreshadow the future Messiah. David became a, a great man, a great king. He had a very, very special role in the history of salvation, together with, with people like Abraham and, uh, and Moses. Uh, really, King David is among the greats of the Old Testament. And yet, at one point, he was just, as they say, a ruddy little child. But he had to be chosen. And this is the account that the Church proposes to us today. We are told that he was, well, this, the youngest of the sons of, of Jesse, who had several other worthy sons who were strong and good and handsome and even quite intelligent. Right? They had full of good looks, good works, and no doubt plenty of prestige among them. So Samuel is sent out and he goes to the family of Jesse of Bethlehem. Of course, that's where we see the name of Bethlehem. For I have chosen my king from among his sons. So Jesse there is, is proud of the fact that he's going to be the father of the future king, at least to the degree that he can understand that. And so, well, Samuel thought maybe Eliab, Eliab might be the Lord's anointed. He seemed to be pretty good humanly, but then the Lord said to Samuel, no. Do not judge from his appearance. The, the specific passage here, do not judge from his appearance or from his lofty stature, because I have rejected him. Not as a man sees, does God see, because man sees the appearance, but the Lord looks into the heart. The Lord looks into the heart. We can imagine that prayer that Samuel the prophet himself had, where maybe Samuel was saying, look, this guy, Eliab, he seems like a wonderful guy. How about if I choose him? In his prayer, he would have said this. And the Lord would have made him see, no, you're right. He's a good guy. He's strong, but that's not my choice. I can see something in him. I can see in his heart. I want you to look into the heart. 
Lord Jesus, now as I begin my prayer with you this morning, while you look into my heart, what do you see there in my heart? Maybe I've been, maybe I've been really stuck in appearances. Maybe I've been fixated in the impression I might make to others or in my good name, my good looks. Maybe I prepare myself to look elegant, to look good. And I suppose that's good. You prepared yourself this morning so you don't look bedraggled and uh, shabby looking. Of course, that's good. I mean, I, you know, it's a good thing to do that. But Lord, you see below the surface. You know me better than I know myself. So now maybe in this time of prayer, you can help me discern something about myself that I ought to know. You can help me discern something about my own heart. When perhaps these last days I've been concerned about externals and certainly we've been concerned about surfaces, that's for sure. <laughs> making sure they're very clean and tidy and do I see that same heart in my prayer do I see the heart that you see Lord Lord Jesus you're seeing my heart right now during this this crisis of course we're, we're used to all this external activity here we're used to going out. We're used to going kind of like outside of ourselves. We're very accustomed to seeing the act of world and social interaction. But now there's all this social distancing and deserted streets. Now, well, the circumstances force us to stay at home. To stay safe, as they say. Social distance. For some people, it's, it's much more demanding if they have a small little apartment. Imagine if you had a, a one and a half, a two and a half, or a small little room and you can't leave. You're in quarantine. Here we have you, Lord. We have you in our, in our little house here, in our center. And we thank you for being with us in this time. But clearly we can't be distant from ourselves. The Lord sees the heart. So maybe one of the things that we can draw out of this time, maybe this will somehow be an occasion of interior growth, interior maturity, to really see what we're really made of. To really know ourselves, to really know our heart. To really know ourselves, you could say. Know myself better. Know my heart. God used, as we know, God used Samuel to choose young David. Even if David was the youngest of, of the sons of Jesse, after he had gone to all the other sons, the seven sons, 
Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord hasn't chosen any one of these. And Samuel asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Jesse replied, well, there's like, like completely, like this is such a, imagine this, if this described you. Well, there's Samuel, there, 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 there's David, but you know, he's just the younger one in the, in the field. I mean, he's just tending the sheep. Kind of like not giving him any importance whatsoever. So Samuel said to Jesse, send him. We will not begin the sacrificial banquet until he arrives here. Jesse sent and had the young man brought to them. He was ruddy, a youth, handsome to behold, and making a splendid appearance, probably like these other brothers. The Lord said to him, there, anoint him, for this is the one. And then this beautiful phrase, then the presence of his brothers, in the presence of his brothers, and from that day on, the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. Spirit of the Lord kind of descended upon, rushed upon him, almost as though the Spirit of the Lord was eager to be with David, to be his anointed one. God wanted David in some way because he was humble. He was good looking, he was, he was externally splendid as we are told, but deep down the the Lord rushed upon him because something about his interior was appealing. You've all heard that account of Thales of Miletus, that thinker of ancient Greece, who is regarded as the first known philosopher of all time, like 2,600 years before Christ. And he, he said that the most difficult thing in the world is to know ourselves. And he says it's much easier to speak uh, ill about others. And apparently in the temple of Delphi, the temple of Apollo in the city of Delphi in Greece, there's a famous inscription there on one of the temples or one of the pediments there that says in Greek, it says, noze seauton, which means know yourself, know thyself. Noshe te ipsum, know thyself. That was like the dictum, that was the most sort of essential thing to, to know. I believe it's an ancient, it's an ancient column or it's an ancient uh, temple. It had been destroyed at one point by an earthquake and then rebuild. It's got these big, thick Doric columns and, and there's a, we can see a, a kind of a sculpture of uh, Apollo's four-horse chariot. It must have been a sight to see. And what everybody understood is, know thyself. Know thyself as, as let's say, the greatest uh, philosophical wisdom And, and therefore, the opposite right, is 
would be obviously not to, to know yourself would be a sign of pride. Know thyself. This is what uh, Pope Benedict mentioned in Jesus of Nazareth. He said that in this wonderful passage, it's a brief little passage, he says that the Greek world whose zest for life is wonderfully portrayed in the Homeric epics was nonetheless deeply aware of man's real sin. His deepest temptation is hubris. Hubris. The arrogant presumption of autonomy that leads man to put on the airs of divinity, to claim to be his own God in order to possess life totally and to draw from it every last drop of what it has to offer. Hubris. Is, it, that, was, that was the opposite of really knowing thyself, of being humble. And this task of knowing oneself will really be the most important step in becoming truly the architect of our life. And perhaps that is why it has been considered, it has really been considered a great challenge of man throughout the centuries to know oneself. To know oneself, to know as, as our Lord knows us. God knows our heart. He doesn't just stay in the externals. If I want to be the architect of my life, I have to know myself. What kind of building right now are you working on? What kind of building are you working on? We heard about how all these days a lot of businesses are closing, a lot of people are not going to work, people are staying at home, it's too dangerous, but building, engineering, they're going. They're going. They have to build. They, they have government contracts, lots of money, so they're going. They're building the subway. They're, the new line is still being built. They're still pouring cement. Because building is, I guess, it's a fundamental aspect of the city. But what about your building? What's, what's it like? What does it look like? Are we not a temple of God? Am I a temple of God or am I just a quaint little cottage that is lost in the woods with nice little bird feeders hanging on the edges? It's easy to know the four walls of a cottage in the woods, but God has made us his dwelling place. He made David, in some ways, his dwelling place, his anointed one. He wants to dwell in our soul as in a temple. That's why we give him thanks now for the opportunity of receiving him. And we pray for all those who would dearly like to receive him today. Not just because it's an obligation, it's a Sunday obligation, but who dearly want to, uh, to receive him. And so they're making spiritual communions. I wish my Lord to receive you into my temple, into me, into this house. I'm not worthy that you enter into this dwelling. 
but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. So the spiritual communions are like occasions to see how my temple is, how my house is, and above all, how well do I really know the plans of that house. We can ask ourselves some very obvious questions. Like, what's my character? What is my temperament? What is my primary temperament? What is my secondary temperament? I may perhaps at times just be a little bit too lenient on myself, too easy on myself. And if I'm not able to discern my heart, to see myself as you see me, Jesus, well then how can I how can I possibly improve if I don't know myself? If I don't know my dominant defect, my biggest sort of setback. I realize, we all realize, that for me to understand others when they come to me, well, obviously I have to listen to them. It's the first thing I have to do. I have to listen. What are they saying to me? And so for me to know myself, I have to listen to my heart. I have to learn the art of entering into my own countryside, you could say. What are my capacities? What am I definitely not good at? What am I, what am I good at? What are my qualities? What are my defects? What are the biggest ones? First, what are my biggest defects? For some, well, it will have been the pursuit of this constant, perhaps, pursuit of comfort. Like in any situation, I, I judge, mainly I'm looking for my comfort. That's the, I want to make sure that I have that insured. For another, perhaps, it'll be her temper. She has a hard time controlling her temper as soon as somebody contradicts her or, or does something she doesn't like or anything happens. We see that in traffic every day. Not now, but usually we see it in, in, temper, in, in, in traffic. I don't like this person cutting me off. I don't like this person going that slow or that fast. Some people do that. They just climb the walls as soon as things don't go their way. Other people have exaggerated self-esteem. I'm not the best, but I'm pretty close to the best. I mean, I'm pretty close. I mean, they don't say it like that, but probably that's what they think. For others, it will be stubbornness. This inability to be flexible. Or a kind of defiance and immutability when they are challenged in their ideas, a criticism of others when they are challenged. For others, the main problem is going to be kind of a superficiality, a kind of frivolity in their way of approaching life. They're frivolous. They don't enter into deeper thought about the purpose of life or, or even the very nature of suffering. Lord, I ask you, enter to my heart Turn on the light and help me to see. Let's use this crisis really so that I can improve at least in self-knowledge. Self-knowledge.
know thyself. That I can think about it. Because each one of our faults is in some way a source of deterioration of our character. We don't have to get discouraged, but we have to be aware of that. And if we don't overcome them in time, if we don't stop them, well, the, the game of our life can go somewhat awry. And perhaps what makes the formation of our character more delicate is precisely the fact that it takes years, even tens of years, to improve. And that, that is a difficulty. We can't change overnight, necessarily. But we have to be aware. We have to know these things. We have to fight against our defects mm -hmm. and, uh, well, make good use of our qualities. But we, st we still have to fight it. We don't have to work on improving our qualities because we already got them. But we have to work on our defects. And maybe we won't see much improvement. But if we have certain defects, certain character flaws, it can be like the formation of a crystal that it's like it comes from a saturated solution that, that begins to dry up and begins to crystallize. Mm -hmm. And once it is crystallized, once that solution is crystallized and kind of like really dried up, well, that's it. There's no changing. It's not going to change. I mean, diamonds were at one point, like, I don't know what they were, but they were like little bits of stuff inside the rock that was fairly soft. But then it crystallized and became a diamond. So we need light from you, Lord. Lord Jesus, give us this light so we can see this process happening. We need to be like David, to have a good heart. The Lord does not judge the external. He looks into the heart, says Samuel, inspired no doubt by by the Lord himself. And this ability to look into our heart, that's what they call insight. To have insight. It's insight, well, it's the process of learning about ourselves, about our own idiosyncrasies. It's a kind of tweaking or refining of the conscience, that compass that we have that tells us which way we're going. our own perception how, about how others might see us, how I appear in front of others, or just the fact, what aspects of my character are slowly crystallizing? Maybe I'm a person who doesn't talk much. You know, they have to wrench out words from us and they get together. Or maybe I'm a person who just doesn't stop talking. You know? Just blah, 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 blah. You know? And uh, once we're going, <laughs> there's no stopping us. Maybe that too is a, it, it's kind of crystallizing in us as a kind of permanent, permanent fault where we, we find it almost difficult to listen to others. How to do all this can be disconcerting at times. 
It can even be a cause of pain. And this very knowledge of ourselves can even humiliate us. And some of these can be, it can be hard to swallow. To think that, well, that's what they think of me. That's what they think I am. Because we all tend to think of ourselves pretty well. We, we have a good handle on that, let's say, we think. But very often, the reality is quite different. If you were to have a report on what you think of yourself, and then a report on what others think of yourself, it would be like two different novels, often. You know? So grant me that maturity. It's not always easy to have a good definition of maturity. But it is a process that goes on all our life. And the mature person is one that is capable of making a coherent response to what presents to themselves. You could say the realities that present themselves in their life. Whether it's their defects or their qualities. How they approach all that. And to approach it with maturity. And above all, asking the Lord to change our heart convert our heart. A number of years ago, Pope Francis, during World Youth Day, to this massive crowd, gave the example of Zacchaeus. He was giving that example of Zacchaeus from Jericho, from the Gospel of St. Luke, to a large, large crowd of young people who were all, presumably, in the process of getting to know themselves, but young enough to be able to change. And he recounted how that encounter of Zacchaeus with Jesus changed his life. Completely changed his life, even though he was looked down upon by the others. He was, after all, a publican. He was, and he wasn't, he wasn't doing good. He was doing rather unjust things. And he, plus, he had his own problems. He had, he had to face a number of obstacles in order to meet Jesus, above all, as we know, his stature. He was short. He was a short guy. He's just the way he was. I mean, he, in some ways he couldn't help that. But perhaps he hadn't completely accepted that fact about himself. And he couldn't see the master. He was too little, too short. No, no high heels would have helped him, right? I mean, the, he didn't feel big enough. He didn't feel worthy enough. And so we know how he climbed up the sycamore tree and, and then eventually was able to see Jesus and invited him over for what he could do, which is invite him over for, for a lunch. And that's where you could say the real conversion took place. And I would say the conversion also is that he came to accept himself as he was, to change his life, his defects, Let's ask for this same ability that Zacchaeus had, that same quality, you could say, to know ourselves. We'll have the gospel of the, of the, born, the man born blind. It's a long gospel today. But let us ask the Lord also to give us light, help us see ourselves, especially during this special time that the Lord has permitted for us, that it can be an occasion for us of purification, understanding of ourselves and why not of others as we listen to them with greater charity, greater faith.
perfection as we pray that the Lord grant us mercy in this time of trial. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations that you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.